Hi, Will. I wanted to tell you that my wife and I suffered a miscarriage in the last week and spent several days in the hospital. After coming home, we couldn't even look at our kitchen, but today for the first time, we cooked your 10-minute noodles from your YouTube video, and it was so delicious and even a little bit of a balm for our broken hearts. I know this is a lot of information to share with a stranger, but I've watched so many of your videos that at least for me, it seems natural. I wanted you to know how important what you're doing is and that you're helping people all over the world in ways you might not even imagine. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. The Strive for More podcast will resonate with those that strive for more in any aspect of their lives. Follow along on one man's journey on the path to a meaningful life through long-form interviews with everyone from successful entrepreneurs, artists, physicians, leading scientists, social media influencers, and professional athletes. This episode of the Strive for More podcast is brought to you by the Strive Accelerator, which is a weekly mastermind group for entrepreneurs. So if you're not seeing the success you want, or you're searching for a community of like-minded business owners, then send an email to jared at striveaccelerator.ca to book a call and learn more. Our next guest is a Hong Kong-born Canadian, famous YouTube chef, international photographer, filmmaker, entrepreneur and violinist. He immigrated to Canada as a young boy with only broken English, and much of his culinary aspirations stem from his background in the visual and musical arts. Whether you're plant-based or plant-based curious, this guest believes that learning how to make good food can really change your life and those around you. Please welcome to the show, Will Young. Will, thank you for joining us. My friend, it's uh, an honor to chat with you today. Absolutely. It's an absolute pleasure to chat with you, Jared. You have, my friend, grown to a following of more than 125,000 subscribers on YouTube as we're recording this interview right now. And I'm sure by the time it's out, that number's even higher. When you started, were you fearful that YouTube was already too saturated with cooking channels? That's a really excellent question, Jared. And I mean, there's always some element of fear in everything that you do, um, regardless of what type of business or what type of industry. So I would say that the element of fear never goes away, regardless if you're super famous or just starting out. I think it's more important to focus on just really I, I suppose without sounding cliche, kind of like the Nike slogan, just do it. You just have to get started. It doesn't have to be, um, there's that saying where you don't have to get it perfect. You just have to get it going. And uh, if you never, if you're always kind of sitting on the back burner with all these great ideas, but being too fearful, then you're just going to be on this kind of paralysis by analysis kind of uh, position. So when I first started out, yeah, of course I had that fear, that element of fear, but it was just kind of one of those, you know, don't worry about what other people think or what's out there. I mean, do keep an eye out of what's out there uh, and be knowledgeable, but don't let that turn into fear. So that'll um, stop you from executing something or taking action. So I think the most important thing is understanding that or accepting that, yeah, there's going to be some fear and there's always going to be some fear or anxiety that will come out. But most importantly, just have to get it going, get it started. You mentioned this need to just get started. 
how did you just get started? Yeah, so YouTube was actually not my like I've done a lot of really almost random type of businesses if you if you will just I don't know I think maybe it's just deep down I'm just really curious I'm, I'm genuinely curious about so many things and I'm sure as we uh, go into this conversation you'll you'll kind of discover that I just really feel like life is super short and there's so many things so many aspirations I want to reach and I already feel like there's just not enough time <laughs> in life so um, I started YouTube, I believe, in 2014, so quite some time ago. But when I first started the channel, it was purely just for fun. And I just kind of thought, I think I was sitting in the car one day, and I just thought, hey, wouldn't it be so cool to just have my own cooking show? So I just started making a couple of videos, and, and kind of that was that. I think I made like five videos or something like that. And then I stopped for a bit. Uh, during that time, I was also working as a photographer. At that time, I was doing weddings, uh, which I kind of transitioned to the, into commercial photography now. And at that time, I actually didn't do any video. So <laughs> video quality was terrible. I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, but I had a little bit of skill set from my photography, uh, which translated into the video making. And But anyway, got into the, the food and started making some episodes and uh of course at first there's absolutely no traction at at all <laughs> i think i was probably <laughs> my my own biggest fan i keep on refreshing the page you know just to <laughs> see if i can up the count of the view count um so it kind of started from there and i stopped for a long time on uh, for youtube anyway and this was this was after i uh, so I used to run a music school and this was after I sold that school. I ran that for four years and then I started doing photography uh, more professionally and uh, that's when I started that YouTube channel. But then I stopped for I think a year or something and then I started up again just kind of for fun and then I said, okay, you know what? Let me just commit to making a hundred episodes just for fun and you know see where it goes. I had no real end goal for uh, the YouTube and of course at the same time I was still working as a photographer and then uh, I think about a year later I uh, I also got into uh, doing video professionally uh, for commercial uh, kind of projects and uh, I did a wedding as well and then during that time I also started a food business so this is kind of totally random and it was totally totally not my expertise not my natural expertise but i just had this natural love for food and i also kind of thought hey it would be so cool to you know tell all my friends that they can get my product in the, the supermarket on store shelves so it was a bit of a uh, should i say like an ego thing which i later on i'll mention that i kind of regretted but so i started that business so we made a coconut milk. So it was a plant-based coconut milk. Uh, super awesome product. I really believe in it. And I still make it just kind of for my own consumption now. Uh, but I don't run that business anymore. And uh, during that time, I thought, hey, it would be cool to uh, film some episodes using this product. And 
put them on my YouTube channel so that this way I can send customers to go, uh, you know, make this uh, masala curry with the, the coconut milk or make these smoothies with the coconut milk. Um, and that's kind of how that kind of uh, fueled the momentum on the on YouTube. But then after I uh, kind of discontinued that business, uh, then I kind of stopped doing YouTube <laughs> again. So it was kind of like an off and on type of thing for YouTube. And it wasn't only until just last year, I believe, Sometime last year, I, I just kind of committed. I was still doing photography and video, but that was basically all I was doing professionally. And I just committed to uh, telling myself, you know what, I'm going to do one episode a week and you know, no excuses. So I started filming a backlog of episodes so that I could uh, schedule them without having, without feeling overwhelmed. So, uh, yeah, just kind of went from there. And I would definitely say that when I first started filming or uh, releasing one episode a week, it was a little bit better in terms of the momentum uh, because you're able to analyze the analytics uh, on YouTube. They have a, a platform for creators. And the, yeah, the first, I would say, six months, yeah, there was maybe a little bit of difference. It wasn't really, it didn't feel like it was proportional to the amount of work I was putting in. <laughs> so in many respects, it felt very discouraging. And I, I remember even having friends telling me just kind of why, why are you spending so much time doing this? You know, you should do something else that is actually, you can actually make money. <laughs> um, but I think it's kind of that mindset where, with entrepreneurship, um, I would say ninety nine percent of the time, when you first start something up, you don't make. It's not that you don't make money; you make negative money. <laughs> that's part of the. That's kind of the expectation, and you know you just have to not worry about it, and you just have to keep on, keep on fighting through that, if you really believe in it. I mean, and uh, yeah, so. Fast forward until just before everything happened, you know, several months ago, uh, I was actually, uh, I actually picked up a job as a waiter uh, because my wife and I, uh, we have a uh, investment property that we rent out and um, it was kind of a new project for us, a new investment project. And uh, <clears throat> we were kind of learning as, I go, as we go and our first tenant was this kind of MIA nearing the, the end of their lease so we were kind of getting freaked out mm -hmm. and uh, at this time we actually bought a second house so uh, it really kind of drained a lot of our capital and so we were just kind of looking at our finances and i said well you know what you know i'm still doing photography and video but why don't i pick up this part-time job just so i we know for sure everything is covered so that's what we did and it that's that's kind of a story in itself because that also felt super, super weird because coming from being a business owner, being an entrepreneur, having staff that I pay, uh, being an employer and then going to be an employee was very, very <laughs> ultra shocking for me. But the funny thing is that that was just me personally. You know, no one really cares. 
and no one really should because I'm just a guy, just like anyone else. It was really just in my head that, you know, I, I just had this, um, had this kind of uh, illusion of myself of being this big business guy. Uh, I shouldn't be, you know, working for someone else. I should be cleaning up people's dishes, you know, what's going on. But I learned so much from doing that, which was quite amazing. I, I met some really amazing and very generous people that I actually ended up, uh, I actually ended up telling my wife that I think I actually got more value from doing that than the money that I earned, which is not very much, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was enough anyway to get us through that. Um, but before all this happened or during all this happened, um, a few months ago, uh, all of the, the wait staff got laid off. So going back to the YouTube, uh, since I was laid off, I had basically nothing going on, nothing in the pipeline. All the gigs that I had lined up for photography and video, everything was canceled because not, nobody was open. And so uh, from there, I decided, I think you know, the first couple of weeks, I really did not do anything. And I was just kind of like, what am I going to do? <laughs> um, I really depended on the, the photography and the video. And since that all kind of uh, came to a standstill, I just said, hey, you know what? Let's just try this and see see what happens. So I decided to commit to two episodes a week with no excuses. And that was at the start of all this happening, so a few months ago. And from there, I started seeing a little bit more momentum. And um, I think it was after about 200 or so episodes that I started seeing a lot more momentum. And there was this one thing that happened on YouTube where, so YouTube has something called Creator on the Rise. And it's a sort of a, kind of like a little boost that YouTube gives creators. And it, it could be a small creator, it could be a mid-sized creator, it could be a bigger uh, creator. It's really sort of random, um, but it depends on, I guess, the momentum that they see uh, from your channel in their algorithm, I guess. <laughs> That's just kind of my guesstimate. So what happens is they choose you for creator on the rise, and then they give you a little badge on YouTube, and then they put your channel on the trending page for 24 hours. So that's kind of what happened with my channel where this just this one day I was looking at my analytics and it just kept on going up and going up almost like 10 times more viewership than normal. And I was just like, what is going on? And then I found out that uh, YouTube actually chose my channel as creator on the rise. So for 24 hours on the, I was on the trending page so that's why I had that huge spike. Uh, so then, you know, I was all kind of gung ho, and that was all awesome. And then the next day, of course, after the twenty four hours, your your channel goes back to normal, <laughs> normal viewership. But after that, you know, I kind of just said, "Well, this is pretty cool, and there's no reason to lose hope. I'm still, even if I didn't get that spike, I already committed to doing two episodes a week. So, I mean, really, I should just treat that as a bonus." And basically, you know, I just kind of kept on doing the two episodes a week and I, I would get some other kind of spikes in viewership and then, you know, be up and down. And, but generally it was a, it was a, a upward trend. So then that's when I started seeing after like 200 ish episodes. And of course, you know, 
as a side note, I'm not saying that you should expect to make 200 episodes before you see any sort of momentum. This is just what happened for me. It doesn't it does not necessarily mean it will happen for everybody. It could be 100 episodes. It could be five episodes. It could be 500 episodes. I have no idea. Um, but that's just kind of what happened for for me. And after that 200-ish episodes, I started seeing more and more uh, tangible momentum in the uh, analytics. And then that also kind of helped fuel my uh, my motivation because there was a lot of kind of slumps where I'm just spending so much time, so much energy, uh, so much resources, just filming and filming and editing and planning. Um, and sometimes the videos will do really well. And sometimes the videos will just don't do well. So it is that kind of, you have to have a little bit of emotional resilience and just have a smile on your face. If it does well, Hey, that's great. If it doesn't do well, Hey, it's okay. At least we, maybe can learn something from this. Maybe this just doesn't, these type of episodes don't do well on my channel. That's okay. At least we found a way or found out what doesn't do well. So that's good. Um, so that's kind of in a nutshell <laughs> where the YouTube has gone. <laughs> well, in those, in those moments where things weren't going well, how did you push through? That is a very good question. I think I have, I'm doing a lot better now. Um, when we spoke before, Jared, uh, I mentioned that I did have a time in my life where I fell into a very sort of deep depression. And after I learning how to get out of that, um, I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm the happiest person on earth right now, but I, I feel like I have gained some i've built some skills uh some internal skills to battle uh that kind of depression and so that helps me that helps me now kind of work through certain uh difficult difficult times or uh objections that come up and i think we'll eventually get back to that some of those tactics that you have described about how did you get out of some of these hard times and how did you fight through adversity? I think that's going to come up maybe a little bit more organically later on. Sticking with the YouTube stuff, what do you think makes Will Young cooking unique? Mm -hmm. I try to keep it. So it is actually a, um, like all the recipes I cook are plant-based uh vegan plant-based kind of whatever you want to call it but the the thing about the channel is that i want to I, I work hard to keep it as inclusive as possible i think of anything the channel's real goal is just to create some positive impact in people's lives and some sort of joy that's really the main goal so i I just make food. <laughs> I just make plant-based food. <laughs> I really love making plant-based food. And I do say in my episodes that I'm not a perfect vegan. Um, but at the same time, uh, there's so many people that comment on the uh, channel. And uh, on a side note, I take a lot of pride and uh, I try to answer everyone's comments. Even when I get mean comments, I still try to answer them. Um, 
so yeah, so I, I get a lot of comments from people saying how they're not vegan, uh, but they tried this recipe and it's so good. They really loved it, but they always start with saying they're not vegan. So I always respond with, "Hey, you know, it's all good. Everyone's welcome here. It it really shouldn't matter." And I think, uh, perhaps sadly, um, the whole the the whole word vegan is kind of sometimes framed in that uh, in that light where people have to be vegan to eat vegan food or people have to be vegan just to cook vegan food. So that's kind of something I, I try to be as inclusive as possible with that show. And to answer your question, I guess, what makes it so different? I guess me, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I try my best to make it a little bit different. I try to keep it really, uh, a lot of people comment on the show how they like how it's very short, very to the point and very simple without a lot of um, sort of talking in between, just kind of random filler kind of talking. Um, but I think that actually, you know how when you watch cooking shows, they always talk about every every little thing, you know, this um, this lettuce is, is grown from my garden and uh, I had it growing for 12 weeks and oh, and my dog <laughs> loved eating this lettuce. And uh, I remember bringing this lettuce to my aunt's house, but it's just like, okay, we get it. Yeah. We don't it's, care it's, about the lettuce, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I think people comment on that, how it's just, there's no kind of a necessary filler, but it actually is funny because I think that actually happened by default because naturally i'm a super super introverted person so by default i'm just not a very talkative person i'd rather just you know this is lettuce we're gonna chop the lettuce put the lettuce in the bowl <laughs> toss it <laughs> so i think by default that kind of just happened but then a lot of people comment how they really like that style so that almost became like a uh, a hallmark a bit of a unique, unique facet to the show. And I think for somebody that's watched your stuff, it's really visually appealing and remarkable. And like you said, it's really succinct. It's to the point. It's really easy to follow along with. And so I would really recommend any listeners that are out there, throw in a vegan dish. If you're not vegan, if you are vegan, check Will's stuff out. It's really it could guide all of the food you cook for the rest of your life. There's that much content up there. So I think that you add a tremendous amount of value to folks. No, it's just, it really is. It doesn't matter what, what your, uh, your food journey is. It's all inclusive. Everyone's welcome there. I just really, the main goal again is just to uh, provide a positive impact in, in your everyday life and just add a little bit of joy. And I I do occasionally get um, viewers. They will email me or message me on Instagram or something like that. And some of the comments are, or some of the messages are really, really just heartwarming. And it's really, really incredible. Is there anything that comes to mind? You know what? There is one that, that I could share. Let me just pull this up here. So this is a message that I received. And I, I won't say the names, just out of um, just out of respect and they said hi will i wanted to tell you that my wife and i suffered a miscarriage in the last week and spent several days in the hospital after coming home 
We couldn't even look at our kitchen, but today for the first time, we cooked your 10-minute noodles from your YouTube video, and it was so delicious and even a little bit of a bomb for our broken hearts. I know this is a lot of information to share with a stranger, but I've watched so many of your videos that at least for me, it seems natural. I wanted you to know how important what you're doing is and that you're helping people all over the world in ways you might not even imagine. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Like something like that is, that's really amazing. I mean, for me, <laughs> I'm so humbled for for being able to have the ability to have even that little positive impact. That is remarkable. And it's impossible to put into words the impact that that must have. I think that it's really can't imagine a nicer comment than getting that as feedback. Yeah. So I think that is, again, the, the purpose of that, of the show really is I just want to spread some joy. <laughs> you know? And I think it, it shouldn't, it doesn't even have to be cooking. You know what I mean? It, it, it could be anything. People could be, it could be a show about painting. It could be a show about how to fix your printer or something like that. <laughs> I see be... the YouTube channel now. Will Young, how to fix your <laughs> printer on YouTube, folks. Watch out for it. Exactly. <laughs> so I think that really, that's my one of my aspirations anyway, is to, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, I've done so many different types of businesses. I mean, I went to university for music, so it really has nothing to do with cooking. But uh, the underlying aspiration really is, you know, just want to just want to impart some joy because that can be contagious. And <laughs> perhaps that's not the best word to use nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> but that has it, a whole new connotation, Will. Yeah, exactly. But it can be um, that can really uh, impact and inspire a lot of people to inspire more people and it, it really could change someone's life so that is really the that's my aspiration for that show you brought up university and you brought up taking music there and i think from a listener's perspective what they're probably hearing is they're hearing this really diverse background of experiences and skills that you've had and and different businesses that you've done so i'd like to delve into that a little bit and i'd like to start off with a business that you started in your dorm room in university can you just tell us about that yeah so sadly i didn't end up like uh mark zuckerberg you know starting in your dorm room but now <laughs> becoming super super rich uh but i so i went to the university for music and i had i I was studying violin as my major instrument, and I just had this love of violin making. Of course, I'm not handy at all, and I don't know anything about woodworking, but I just had this really uh, deep passion for people who made violins because really they're just taking, I guess now when I think about it, there's so much correlation with food um, because people are just violin makers. They just take pieces of wood and they make it into this object that can play certain sounds certain specific sounds and then the musician comes along who has training and they're able to turn this or they're able to utilize the this tool and make uh, organized sounds which becomes music which becomes something very uh, beautiful and very powerful 
which can affect uh, other people emotionally. So that kind of really drew me into music and the physical kind of instrument making, even though I never actually got into it. Um, I guess that's very similar to, to cooking, where you're just taking, like I always say, humble, raw ingredients and then turning it into something beautiful. So anyway, going back to uh, the dorm room thing, I this was at a time when eBay was just starting up. And I, re- I would just, uh, I didn't have, <laughs> so I didn't have a lot of friends in university. <laughs> I was one of those nerdy kids that, um, I was really into video games and I really loved video game music, uh, back in the day. And I would be one of those nerdy kids where, you know, my roommates would be out partying and drinking and whatnot. And I would just be sitting on my computer, my old IBM computer, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and just composing music, composing kind of video game music. And that was kind of my, my, my thing. I just loved doing that. And, uh, so uh, with the eBay, I kind of got into that because I started looking at uh, violins that were for sale on eBay. And uh, back in the day when cell phones didn't have very good cameras like we do now, uh, a lot of the pictures on eBay were horrible, horrible, horrible. But because I was so into uh, violins and violin making, I was able to tell if a violin was of pretty good quality um, just by looking at the pictures, even though there uh, most of them were pretty bad pictures. So because there were bad pictures, most of them would not fetch a very high price tag. So I would be buying some violins for maybe $20, $30, $50. I think maybe $80 or something like that at the most, Canadian dollars. And then I would uh, receive them in my dorm. <laughs> and then I had a little point-and-shoot camera. Uh, that, was, that was kind of my, <laughs> my photography uh, skill set. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my budding, budding photography uh, skill sets. Uh, so I would take every Saturday. So I would kind of stockpile, start stockpiling these violins that I just bought for uh, fairly cheap. And on Saturday, again, when everyone's just kind of out partying or whatever, I would be in my dorm and I would set up these violins and take pictures of them. I would set up a little backdrop and, and whatnot. <clears throat> and and then I would take the time to do all the descriptions. I would list these violins and I would see that they would sell for a lot more money because I had a much better looking storefront and much better pictures. So that kind of got me, got, I guess, got the wheels turning. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. I didn't really do it for the money at all because, I mean, realistically, it wasn't really that much money. But uh, as a first-year university student, making this extra cash, doing something really different, that really uh, hooked me in, I guess, to that entrepreneurial uh, journey. And then... From there, I started looking into drop shipping, which is very popular now. But back then, nobody knew what drop shipping was. I think there were only a few companies that would do drop shipping. And so I looked into that. I would um, try to make connections with suppliers that uh, would manufacture the violins. And then I would just 
list the pictures and not actually get the products uh, physically and then ship them out from there once I get a sale. Because uh, there were so many days when I was actually shipping physical products. There were so many days I actually had to order uh, special cardboard boxes to my dorm room just so I can pack everything up. And then I would walk these big boxes to uh, Shoppers Drug Mart that was maybe three blocks down from the university and uh, go to the post office there to ship them out. Like I was, <laughs> it was seriously a hustler <laughs> in the making because, like, it just didn't matter how much work was involved. I just, I just did it. And Your roommates definitely thought you were dealing drugs, though. Oh man, I thought, I thought maybe they would think I would be selling like weapons or something, you know, <laughs> like desperado uh, style. <laughs> so I kind of went from there. But um, after after university, of course, I I didn't continue with that. That was just kind of like a side for fun thing. So you ended up going through music school, you ended up becoming a music teacher, and you had this awesome job. You had an, an awesome, safe, secure teaching job in an era where teaching jobs just weren't that prevalent. I think many of your friends said, Will, you know, you've got an awesome job, we're so jealous, etc. And you decided to leave that job. You decided to quit and to start your own music school. How hard was that decision and what did you do to overcome some of those challenges yeah so making the decision was very easy <laughs> because it was just really driven by passion i really wanted to do my own thing and i had this i just had this goal almost like an aspiration um when i was in my last year of university i went to teacher's college and that was my last year and i just had this aspiration where i knew i wanted to just be a business owner, quote unquote. I wanted to own a legitimate business when I was in my early twenties, and so yeah, basically that's what I did. I just I just went for it, and at that time, I after teachers college, I luckily I, I landed a job at a very nice school. Yeah, I I did not enjoy teaching as much as I thought I would enjoy it, um, and I just really felt that you need a you need to be a very special person to to kind of <laughs> really enjoy school teaching so yeah from there i kind of decided that um you know i had a little bit of money that i made from teaching i think i had like two thousand dollars or something like that <laughs> to my name <laughs> and uh from there I, I actually at that time i was still living at home <clears throat> so uh so that kind of helped but yeah, from there I, I decided to start a music school because I just thought, hey, you know what? I really want to, you know, as I said, start a business, be a business owner in my early twenties. And I also my my wife at the time, she was also in teachers college and she was just finishing just one more year, and I just kind of had this um, <laughs> really optimistic vision uh, back in the day, and I was like, oh, you know, it'd be so cool if I open this music school and when she graduates, you know, I'll be a qualified teacher and she's a qualified teacher and we'll have this music school and, you know, it'll be rainbows and lollipops and we'll, we're going to, we'll, we'll, uh, it'll be a paradise forever kind of thing. And was it? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> 
So as I said, the easy part was making the decision because it was really run by passion and not by logic. (laughs) (laughs) And and I mean, yeah, like if I made that same decision now, I probably won't because like I said, I had $2,000 to my name and I had to take a, uh, at that time, I believe it was just over $10,000 that I had to take out uh, as a loan. And I had to also sign a five-year lease. That was probably the scariest part. Wow. It was a five, five-year lease on a unit that was about $2,500 was my overhead every month. And then we also had, uh, my wife and I were living uh, in, in an apartment by ourselves. We also had a car. So, yeah. I mean, going back, thinking back now in retrospect, I mean, that was so reckless. I would probably not do that again. But, man, I really love that guy that just <laughs> just, did, just did that, you know, just did it uh, because it was the start of so many things. So, um, yeah, I really believe that if you if you really put the work into something, it it just there's no reason for it not to happen you know uh, if you keep on learning and things always change so you have to really keep on learning have to keep a, an open mind but if you really keep on learning and try to make things better every single day there really is no reason especially in a, a modern economy I, I really believe that there is no reason that something would fail un- unless you're super super reckless you know like you sell your you sell your house, you sell your car, you sell, you sell your kids or something like that. <laughs> That'd be a different story. But Was there ever any moment as you were starting that music school where that struggle felt real? Where Was there a moment that kind of crystallized the struggle that you were going through? Yeah. So um, there was this one time that I remember very clearly when we were uh, grocery shopping. So my wife and I were, were very we're pretty good with money and we we budgeted everything in terms of paying the staff paying the the overhead the school paying the car paying the apartment and after that we would see how much money we would have left to buy groceries basically and yeah for i think <laughs> quite some time we we would eat chunky soup you know a lot <laughs> a lot a lot and um, I remember there was this one time when we were in the grocery store and my, my wife actually just picked up a box of crackers and she just really wanted to buy that box of crackers. And it was a $2 box of crackers. And I will never forget this, uh, this scenario, this moment is because I, I remember saying that we just can't buy that. You know, we literally cannot buy that because we seriously just don't have the money. Everything's all paid, which is great. Uh, so we're not behind on rent, and we're not behind on payroll or anything like that. So everything's all taken care of, but we literally do not have that extra two dollars to buy that box of crackers. And I remember she, her, just getting really teary-eyed, and yeah. So starting from there, it just it gave me this really kind of tough uh, feeling of really heavy feeling of man, did I make the right decision? Like I kind of created this really really tough life where i'm just going to work where uh you know <laughs> i i would always um i think i have a very new appreciation for 
for work ethics <laughs> because I would go into work basically not to make zero money, but like I said, to make negative money. <laughs> I would go into work so that other people can get paid. That's how bad it was. And I mean, it, it wasn't bad. That That is reality, you know, if you're starting a business. And literally, I was running everything just so other people can get paid. I've never, ever felt that before. Because even if you get a minimum wage job, hey, you know, sure, you work for someone and sure, your boss might yell at you or whatever, but, you know, you're not going to make negative money. <laughs> you're still going to at least walk away with something. So I've never had that feeling before. So I I will never, also, I would never forget that just going into work and basically working so that other people can get paid. <laughs> what is one thing that you took away from that experience that you think has translated through to today's current success? I think just never give up. Really, if you if you strongly really believe in something, I mean, I think entrepreneurship, I would I would strongly say that it's not for everybody. I think a lot of people have something what some business people would call an entrepreneurial seizure. <laughs> so, <laughs> let me explain what that means. <laughs> Um, you know how a lot of people, I mean, I know a lot of colleagues who always complain about their job and you know, they'll come home, oh, I hate my boss, I hate my job, I have this great idea, it's going to be a million dollar idea, and they talk about it, and you know, but then they don't take action, and then they go back to work, and then they come back and say, you know, next year, exactly the same thing, I hate my job, I hate my boss, and then... They'll keep on saying, but I have this million dollar idea. I just have to, you know, get this going, you know, one day, one day, one day. And then same thing next year and next year and next year. So that's kind of what I call a an entrepreneurial seizure because I don't think that everyone is meant to be entrepreneurs. Um, and I, I actually tell people or I ask people, you know, what, do you feel like is your definition of an entrepreneur? And I think, especially nowadays, everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. Um, but I, I think that not everyone understands what the definition of an entrepreneur is. And I suppose there's many definitions. Um, but for me, I used to, I used to think that being an entrepreneur was being a business owner. They were interchangeable. They were the mm -hmm. same thing. And I've really learned that is not the same thing. So when I was running my business, uh, my music school, uh, I would always actually I kind of had this issue where I didn't know what to tell people when they asked me what I did. Um, I guess officially I was like the school director, but then I was also a business owner or an entrepreneur. Like I, I didn't really know, but. Uh, Fairly recently, I kind of learned that after doing so many businesses and in so many different industries, I think that is what an entrepreneur is. It's someone who basically just solves problems and adds value to the marketplace. And the, and the money aspect is that the entrepreneur has a vision that they want to create, um, which adds value to the marketplace, but they start a business which becomes a system that funds their vision. And if I was to kind of put it into a short form, I would say that when people ask me anyway what an entrepreneur is, I would say, well, 
I think an entrepreneur is someone who has the ability to endure pain for a long period of time. <laughs> I would I would say that that is the best, probably the best definition of one. <laughs> you know what? I don't know if this lands with you, but I recently read David Goggins's book, and I know I'm about four years behind the times. And for those of you that may not know David Goggins, he's uh, an ex-Navy SEAL. He now has competed in something like 60 ultra races around the world, and he's really just done it through sheer willpower, and he's a remarkable human being. And I was on this quest to find meaning in my life, and entrepreneurship is, of course, a part of that, and personal growth. And and he, he talks about suffering and how there's meaning in suffering and pushing yourself through pain and enjoying pain to find this meaning. And it just resonated so strongly with me that I ended up doing my first ultra, ultra marathon in August, partly because COVID left us with nothing else to do, <laughs> but partly because I think that's training for life is how do you live through suffering and, and thrive in suffering? Mm -hmm. What do you think is, if you just had to choose one trait, what is the number one trait that has led to your success as an entrepreneur? That's actually a very great question as well. <clears throat> and it, that that has changed. That has changed a lot in recent, um, maybe even in the recent year, singular. Um, because I, I think when I was running my music school and the coconut milk business and the photography video, I always felt that, you know, the best or the most important kind of skills to have are the, the of face value, the skills that you're, you know, either the skill in making food or the skills in photography or skills in uh, videography. But that has really drastically changed. And as I grew as an entrepreneur, as I learned more about what an entrepreneur actually means and what, uh, what an entrepreneur is, I would say, and this sounds really, really cliche because a lot of people say this, but I would say your mindset. It is so uh, monumental to have uh, what they call a growth mindset. And uh, I was telling uh, our mutual friend, uh, Neil, the other uh, time that uh, sort of bit of an analogy and I said you know I never thought of things this way where um, I mean as an entrepreneur I have a lot of resilience and that's kind of the only way I can get through the, the every day and just kind of keep going but I never really thought about it's also equally important to work on building your mindset and building a very strong mindset with strong emotional intelligence and I don't think a lot of people um, weigh that as much as things they can see for vase value. So say, for instance, um, uh, even same for instance, like uh, photography. So, you know, getting a better camera doesn't necessarily make you a better photographer. It's you who are, you, literally, you are the photographer. You are the business. It's not your camera. So in an entrepreneur um, point of view, upgrading your, or not upgrading, uh, increasing your emotional intelligence is super, super monumental. And that analogy, sorry, <laughs> I kind of flip-flop, that analogy um, 
I was telling our mutual friend was, you know, if I, I think our brain or mind is kind of like a toolbox. And first, let's just say you start out with a hammer, you know, if you're a contractor. Now, you start with a hammer, you can do certain tasks. So you can nail things, nail um, you know, nails into the walls or and stuff like that. I, I'm not handy, so I don't know. What, <laughs> I, don't know what I am do. no help. <laughs> so, so first, you start off with a hammer. You can only do certain tasks, but then if you start to grow your mindset, or IE grow your toolbox, you have more tools and more. Uh, you have a, a stronger. Uh, you can make stronger decisions and uh, also accomplish more tasks. So let's just say you add the uh, measuring tape to your uh, your toolbox or your mindset. Now with this measuring tape, you can do things that the hammer can't do. And you can be more precise with your measurements and you can be more precise with uh, you know uh, building certain things. And then when you add in, say, the saw, Oh, now you can cut things with more precision. You're not just breaking things. Uh, when you add, um, I don't know, man, I'm not handy at all. <laughs> but that brings up a great point. And when you talk about adding these metaphorical tools to your toolbox, when it comes to mindset, what metaphorical tools have you added to your toolbox? Certain things like resilience is definitely you absolutely crucial as an entrepreneur or um, to to run a business to start a business you really really have to be resilient and the funny thing is you have to be resilient with yourself because I think you uh, are your worst enemy or I should say you can be your worst enemy but retrospect you can also be your own best friend you can you can also be your best cheerleader which i think we all need to be more of um myself included i'm very 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 bad at uh because i'm a little bit of a perfectionist so i'm very bad at putting myself down or i should say i'm very good at doing that (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah having resilience with yourself, I think is very important, as well as you know against other factors, other outside factors. Uh, if you're very envious or, or whatnot, that's also something you should be uh, resilient against. Um, another thing is uh, having a open mind. I know that sounds really simple, but having an open mind really allows you to keep learning. And especially in the world of business, everything changes all the time. And Mark Cuban uh, from Shark Tank, he said that business is the most competitive sport because it's 24-7. Mm-hmm. And it's it's incredibly true because it just changes all the time and you have to keep on learning. I think there's this misconception um, with a lot of uh, people in business or entrepreneurship or just starting out where they have this notion of you just build this thing. It's going to you know, be great. It's going to run itself. And I'm going to sit on the beach. It's going to be great. I'm just going to collect the checks. And that is just not reality. I mean, that's, I'm not saying that that's not possible. That's absolutely possible. Anything is possible. But <laughs> 
I can imagine you would have to work super, super hard to be able to sit on the beach and have absolutely nothing to do with your businesses. So um, have to keep learning and have to have an open mind. To keep us on this bit of a timeline as we've gone through your entrepreneurial journey, I know that after you built up the music business, it was very successful. You ended up selling it off. And then you got into, like you mentioned earlier, this coconut milk business. And you did that for about a year. And then that stopped. Can you talk about what happened and how you felt? So after we sold the music school, um, we kind of went on a little bit of a, a vacation, just to kind of clear our minds and just recuperate. And uh, because when you run a business, there are no sick days and no vacation days, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, and then we, we did a, a biking trip. We did like a charity biking trip and we, we biked 2,000 kilometers from Toronto to Prince Edward Island. And that was kind of, that was a really cool experience. And during that time, obviously, we had a lot of time to talk about, you know, uh, ideas about anything. And so that's when I started the coconut milk business. It was when we came back, I just felt compelled to to start my next business. And it just so happened that I chose a food product business. And so from there, I um, yeah, we ran that for about a year. And within the first six months, I, I mean, I was really hustling like no one's ever hustled before. Um, <laughs> we, uh, yeah, I, I was making product. I was distributing it myself. I was marketing. I was doing literally everything. And just to save cost, uh, just, be re- just to be resourceful, um, the bottles, I would actually go and buy the glass bottles myself and pick them up. And... I would have to buy the cap separately, and then just to save cost, I would buy the labels uh, uncut. <laughs> so I would have these massive sheets of stickers of labels uh, to put on the the uh, bottles, and uh, I would basically hand cut them because it was I think <laughs> I think maybe like twenty five cents cheaper for per uh, per label or something, or ten cents cheaper per label, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> It adds up, right? When you're yeah, when you're, when you're doing thousands, when you're doing a startup, it everything adds up. So, and the only thing I had was time. So, yeah, that that's kind of the the starting pains. And so, um, because I did all that and I did it for quite some time, I think within the first five or six months, everything was already we were already making profit. And but having said that, I was also working like crazy, crazy, crazy. And from there, uh, we got into like 36 uh, stores, like supermarkets. And yeah, it it just almost became like this huge ego thing where um, I really kind of had to work through because I just wanted to tell my friends, this sounds so weird, but I just wanted to tell my friends that, oh, you know, I have a product on the store shelf. I'm so cool. I'm so... um, I'm so badass, you know. <laughs> and you, you are. And you can, yeah, right. And you can go and buy my product on the shelf. Um, but then behind the scenes, I mean, that, I think that sort of glamour lasted for eh, a week, two weeks. But then 
the behind the scenes, I was working like mad. I felt like I had five factory jobs that I was working all the time. And I remember uh, specifically, there was this one day where we got a new account, a new supermarket, and uh, we made, or I made, (laughs) personally, I made, I think, like 300 bottles. And, um, but I wanted to get it to them as soon as possible. So what I did was, and hang on, I'm not not (laughs) explaining this correctly. So that day, when we got that new account, I was already distributing a order to another supermarket. And then we got that account and I said, oh my gosh, I really need to get these uh, this product to this new account. So I need to basically, uh, as soon as I get back from d- delivering this order, I need to start hustling and making more product. And literally those 300 bottles took me all night, no lie. And I literally finished at 7 a.m. in the morning. What? Yeah. And from there, 7 a.m. in the morning, I loaded the car and I drove them all to the supermarket. And then on here's the kicker. That's not even that's not even the best part. <laughs> so when I drove it to the supermarkets, uh, there was a I guess there was like a miscommunication. Something got lost in translation with the order, and they, uh, for whatever reason, uh, it doesn't matter now, but they they couldn't take the product. And I was just like, you got to be joking. I just slaved all night (laughs) to make this. And, you know, we were uh, were operating at a capacity where every dollar counted at that that time. I was still cutting my own labels. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, I mean, those were just kind of things that you just have to, uh, okay, well, what are you going to do, right? It, It is what it is. And instead of focusing your energy on just uh being so down about it and uh, saying well you know we could have done this or could have done that could have would have type of thing just why don't we focus our energy and our resources into getting more accounts and generating more revenue so that's a better use of your uh, resources so yeah just crazy 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 stuff and then when i sold the or not not sold that business so when i um decided to put a pause on that business because it would just got way too much. And I literally developed like a physical anxiety, which I've never felt ever. Um, and I would, I would have a tough time sleeping, um, which I still do kind of sometimes nowadays. Um, but, uh, I just had this, I just developed this anxiety where I could feel it in my chest. It was just really hard to breathe like physically. And I never, have felt that before so it it kind of freaked me out a bit and you know i would just kind of subdue it and i would you know just keep on hustling uh, making the milk and distributing it and doing the same thing over and over again um until just one day i just decided you know what this is really i was talking to a, a good friend of mine and she's very um she's very positive minded and i think I really needed that at that time Hmm. because I was so busy just doing my own thing. I was literally in a bubble and being in this bubble, I I had no social life. I had no outside um, connection. So yeah, it was just me and my own negativity really because I was just running this business. Actually, I wouldn't even say I was running the business. The business was running me. <laughs> I was really just mm-hmm. surviving and not thriving. So 
yeah, I was speaking to a friend of mine, and uh, she um, sent me this quote, which I uh, mentioned before that just because, and I was telling her that I I was considering putting a pause on the uh, production. And I was just like, oh man, I, I don't want to. And I was telling her really truthfully, I feel like if I stop this business, I feel like I failed. And I I don't have that kind of track record in my <laughs> my entrepreneurial career. So it felt like, I guess, part of that ego thing where it just I, I shouldn't have that on my on my track record because <laughs> I'm a very quote unquote successful entrepreneur. And she sent me this quote where it said, uh, just because something along the lines of just because you um, put something behind doesn't mean you failed. Uh, it could mean that you're making room for something better. Wow, and, how true. Yeah, and I said, oh man, you know what? You're right. I I have done so many different kind of businesses and I still have so many aspirations. Like the drive has never died. Um, in fact, I think it's it just gets stronger every year. There's so many other projects I want to work on. So I think I gave that a year and I said, you know, this is really driving me to the ground <laughs> just mentally. I mean, we were making money, but mentally it was killing me. So that's when I decided to put a pause on that uh, that business, which at first, and this is the interesting part, is that at first it felt great. It felt like it felt like you um, you just broke up of like a bad relationship or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but after that, uh, I, I think about maybe several weeks in, I started feeling super super depressed because it started you know. Uh, like I said, you could be your own worst enemy, and my own worst self started, you know, telling myself, um, you know, you you failed. That was a failure. That business failed. Um, it it could have been so much more. It could have been this. It could have been that. Uh, we were at a point. I actually, uh, when I took that business, or when I started that business, I actually took it to uh, Dragon's Den, a uh, just like the audition. But we never we didn't get in. It was too early at that time. But like I had so many aspirations for that business, and I'm sure it could have worked. But yeah, it was just so much. And then, you know, my kind of negative self would just keep on telling me all these things. Well, it could have been this. It could have had the potential to do this. And yeah, it was just failure, 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 failure was all I kind of heard from that side of me. So yeah, it's just terrible and very potentially dangerous uh, if you're kind of in, stuck in your own bubble like that. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs go through that uh, sort of anxiety, sort of self-doubt and like a very, very serious self-doubt because it's not just, um, you know, you losing your cool or something. It's, you know, this is your livelihood. You put your life, um, in many cases, you put a lot of money <laughs> into your own business. So, yeah, it, it, it's very, very real, the the potential depression that you can get into. And Will, how did you get out of that depression? What were some of the actionable things that you figured out over time to help? Yeah, so there were many days where I think I had this depression for maybe several months, like three months, five months, something like that. I don't even remember. You kind of lose track of time. And there were many days where I was just in my bed, 
and I just couldn't get up. Um, the the only thing that was uh, I was making money from at that time was just photography and video, basically. So I wasn't running the coconut milk business anymore. And yeah, it was a big kind of pay cut, and then I was literally just surviving again. Uh, I had a lot more time, but a lot of that time was just spent in bed, basically, <laughs> just drowning in my own sorrows. And the yeah, one day I, I think I just, I mean, it wasn't like an aha moment. I mean, deep down, I I started kind of separating. Uh, my negative self with my positive self i treated those as two different people and i kind of just started asking myself questions <laughs> uh, like the the positive side would ask the negative side questions <laughs> yeah it sounds so weird but it it started working and uh, i would ask myself questions like you know you know uh i know i don't want to be in this stage i i know i don't feel good right now but hey you know what that's actually a good thing i don't feel good right now is because i want to get out of it if i felt good right now being depressed that's bad um so that that was a starting point so i started from there okay so i made that distinction uh i know i want to get out of this so the question was well what can i do so open in a question. I would ask that negative self, um, what can I do today to start finding a solution? You know, something very manageable, uh, something very simple, uh, that kind of question. And so, you know, I would, my other self <laughs> would start answering with ideas like, okay, well, I guess with reasonable ideas, I mean, so, <laughs> you know, today I really don't want to get out of bed. I'm so used to just staying in bed um, in my own bubble. But okay, well, today, why don't we just get up and make lunch? You know, and here's another open-ended question. Okay, so if I got up and made lunch, what is the consequences of that? You know, or what is the consequences if I do get up and make lunch? And would I be able to live with those consequences? Okay, well, consequences are... I just spent some time making lunch. <laughs> you know, that's it. <laughs> if if it's if I feel like that was a terrible lunch, or if I feel like it was a waste of time, okay, well, at least I tried. And uh, here's another question: What were you gonna do anyway? <laughs> you know, if you weren't gonna make that lunch, what were you gonna do anyway? You know, I was just gonna stay in bed. So, okay, well, why don't we at least get up and try to make lunch? So I remember this really clearly. There was this one day I just got up and I I made lunch, and afterwards. I genuinely feel, felt so much better. It, it was almost like a big weight was lifted off my shoulders. Now, mind you, I still was pretty depressed because you know making lunch doesn't solve all your problems, all your world problems. But um, it's kind of like that. Uh, there is there is a saying in the I believe it's the Navy SEALs uh, where if you want to save the world, how can you save the world if you can't make your own bed? Yes, you know and. It really is that act of you need to do something. You need to physically get yourself up and just do it. So for me at that stage, because I was so low, that act was just making lunch. So that's okay. You know, you I I don't expect no one expects you to get out of depression one day, the next day be a millionaire. You know, it just makes no sense. But 
being able to get up and just make that lunch, I was like, man, that actually felt really good. You know, I don't feel amazing, but that felt good. It was good, but good is good enough for today. And then the next day I said, hey, you know what? Making that lunch felt really good. I feel like I need to get more of that good, that good feeling. So let's make lunch again, you know, and they just kind of build that momentum. Okay, now, you know, making lunch doesn't feel like that big of an accomplishment anymore because I've already done it a few times. Okay, well, why don't we make lunch and do a little bit of uh, the side work, the side business that I want to do, <clears throat> even if it, you know, doesn't mean much, even if it's just that 1%. And then I would, you know, start asking myself uh, open-ended questions again. You know, what would you, what would you rather do? You know, uh, get that one percent progress or zero or negative percent? Well, obviously, one percent is better than zero. So it just kind of you start snowballing that, and you feed that. Um, I think there's a, a proverb. I can't remember where it was from. Um, where it, it's almost like you're picturing yourself as there's two sides of you there's one good side and there's one bad side and if you keep on feeding the bad side of you then your bad side is just going to get stronger and stronger and eventually eat the good side but if you keep on so it's really up to you which side you want to feed so if you keep on feeding that good side it's just kind of like that feeling of oh man you know, making a lunch actually felt pretty good. Let's make more of it. Let's get more of that good and feed more of that good side. So eventually that good side will become stronger and stronger. And it'll be easier to fight off that negative side. Well, something interesting that I'm seeing is that that remedy for the depressive state that you were in at that time was food. And now, years later, you're actually trying to maybe give people that same experience and that same process that you went through. You're just giving that to other people. And so very neat to observe from the outside. That's actually amazing. That's really profound. <laughs> That's very generous of you to, uh, to put it in that light because <laughs> I didn't think of it that way. <laughs> well, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask for those folks out there that might be starting a YouTube channel in 2020, what's the advice you'd give to those folks? Mm -hmm. I would say uh, same thing as I, as I said at the very beginning, just do it. You really need to just start and get it going. And the thing about starting either a YouTube channel or a business is that you will learn as you go. You'll learn along the way. And you can spend all the time in the world until you know until you die really um trying to get all the skills you need to to get everything going perfectly but by the time you learn all those skills the world would probably have changed and i mean that's kind of like a very <laughs> uh elaborate or glamorous way of uh putting it but um i guess what i mean is certain things say for starting a youtube channel certain skills that you learn right now can actually change you know next month i have no idea so certain examples would be like um uh making really good thumbnails uh, because those are pictures that kind of really hook people 
uh, to want to click on your video or certain ways to tag uh, your videos. So one of the strategies is to have like a long worded uh, kind of keyword tagging. So say for instance, if I made a video about uh, vegan ramen, so instead of the first tag being vegan ramen and that's it, uh, that should be one of the tags, but the first tag, you know, strategy-wise, quote unquote, should be something like how to make vegan ramen recipe at home. So that's one long-winded tag. Uh, apparently, that strategy—I mean, does it work? I don't know. <laughs> it's all experimentation, <laughs> and that's that's really—I think that's a, a skill in itself—is have the resilience and the patience to experiment because those strategies, it's good to try to learn those strategies, those specific strategies. But like I said, I have no idea if they work, they may work, they may not. Um, certain things I feel like have worked, but sometimes doesn't always work. And um, like I said earlier, it just, it shouldn't matter. You know, you should still, you just need to have the same smile on your face, whether you get a video that hits 100K views or if it only hits 1K views or 100 views. You know, it, you, you just really need to have the resilience and the patience to experiment and to learn and keep learning. Do you have a system for learning from those experiments that you undertake in tagging or thumbnails or content? Or is that something that's kind of an ad hoc and you see what works and try and do more of that. Yeah, so one of the strategies, I think the strategy that I have found the most success in is the one where um, you should uh, light your hair on fire and run around. No. <laughs> I'm, sure I would, I'm sure I would get a lot more views if I did that. One of the strategies that I found works the uh, most effective is looking at your personal channel. And this is why I, I, I would stress very, very much that it works. It I mean, I have found success for me. It may not work for everyone. Um, and looking at your personal channel and seeing similarities between different videos that you've made and um, uh, videos that have done well. So say, for instance, if I make vegan ramen and uh, say the first one does really well okay you know i'll have a couple other videos in between maybe i'll have like a uh, caesar salad video i'll have a, a stew video i'll have a apple pie video or something like that and then i'll put vegan ramen again a different type of vegan ramen and if it does really well again then that kind of tells you something that's data that you shouldn't ignore and then you know experiment as i said again you know, have a smile on your face, experiment. And um, light your make, hair on fire. Exactly. Yeah. Make make vegan ramen with your hair on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I see a new cookbook, Will. Yeah. So that is actually why one of the one of the reasons why I decided to write the vegan ramen cookbook is because I was just looking at my own personal channel, uh, the data, and I saw that a lot of the vegan ramen episodes were very popular. So I just kind of said, hey, you know what? Instead of writing a cookbook, actually, this is actually really funny. My, 
before I wrote that vegan ramen cookbook, it was actually a book that was about entrepreneurship, but recipes for entrepreneurs. But I was what? going to have, yeah, I was going to have like entrepreneurship stuff in it. So I wanted to make it different. And it was going to be called something like uh, recipe, recipes for the hustlers or something like that, or recipes for the hustle, <laughs> something like that. But uh, that kind of quickly evolved. And then I, I started seeing, hey, um, that strategy of, you know, I, it seems like a lot of people like vegan ramen on my channel. So it only kind of makes sense that I, why don't I niche down? And instead of making a book that's about everything, um, kind of like most cookbooks, I guess, would be kind of, you know, one page you'll be making a salad, another page you'll be making a soup, uh, another page you'll be making bread, another page you'll be making pizza or tacos or kind of something like that. So I, I kind of thought, why not just niche down and make like an epic book of ramen? <laughs> so, of course, there are side dishes in the book but and drinks, but they're all um, related to if you were having ramen for the listeners, I will link to that cookbook so that you can get a copy. It is beautiful. Um, and it is really the first of its kind vegan ramen cookbook. And so please go out there and support will and, um, yeah, find the link in the description to this episode. And I'm disappointed, will that that entrepreneurship cookbook has not gone live. Yeah. I, as you were saying that I was just thinking, that's exactly what I need. Something quick and healthy and yeah, peppered with your humor and insights. That's what we need. Yeah. I think uh, I, I wouldn't say that it's out of the picture, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of other projects that I'm, I'm working on <laughs> right now. So that's kind of put on pause. But Well, before we wrap up, is there anything that you wish I had asked you or any lessons or anything that you want to end on? I'll end on a, a quote that I really like. Um, I actually don't even remember the exact words of it, but and you, you're going to laugh because it's from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm huge into video games and movies and whatever. Um, but uh, in the first Lord of the Rings, uh, it, it's one of the quotes I just really, really like and it makes so much sense in everything that I do, uh, whether it's in business or life. And it was that part where Gandalf is talking to Frodo and that's, it's when they're in the mines of Moria and they see Gollum and uh, Frodo's just like, oh, um, Bilbo should have gotten rid of uh, Gollum when he had the chance. And Gandalf turns to Frodo and says something along the lines of, well, you know, we, we can't we don't always have the luxury of controlling everything that we want, but what we can control or what we uh, should decide is to um, decide what to do with the time that is given to us. So going back to the YouTube channel really is just um, the goal is to create a positive impact and just to spread as much joy as possible. And, that is kind of one of my aspirations is to, I guess I see our time as I mean, without getting so like wishy-washy and philosophical. <laughs> um, I see our, our time as a resource, you know, it's no different than uh, money or energy. Um, in fact, I, I think it's more valuable than the money. 
because time you can't buy and um yeah i i think it's important to really reflect and understand what is valuable for us and what our aspirations are and that's what we should uh, proportionally spend our time trying to achieve well will like frodo we are all i think looking for a guide like gandalf in this world <laughs> and you my friend have acted as that guide for us today on this journey through entrepreneurship and more broadly through meaning finding meaning in our lives so i want to thank you for taking this time to chat with us you are a humble and thoughtful and successful individual who's just always striving for more and so thank you for spending this time with us and for the listeners out there if you want to learn more about Will, you can find him on YouTube at Will Young, that is Y-E-U-N-G, or on his website at youngmancooking.com. Will, my friend, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Jared. I admire your time. If you enjoyed this episode of the Strive for More podcast, you may also like episode number 19 from this series with the founder of Becoming Filipino, which has more than 2 million followers on social media. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please stay tuned for more stories from successful entrepreneurs, artists, influencers, and sports and medical moguls. Please know that I've got your back, and the world needs you to go out there and create, innovate, and iterate. If you like this episode, then please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. You can also find Strive Accelerator on Instagram at Strive Accelerator and find show notes and all of our free content on our website at striveaccelerator.com. I always want to hear feedback from listeners, so please shoot me an email at jared at striveaccelerator.ca.